Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to be with you this morning. My name is Jesse, and I would invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Romans chapter 10. Uh, Romans chapter 10 is going to be sort of the springboard that takes us into uh, the next few minutes as we, we're in week two of three, uh, where we're talking about the why and the how of sharing our faith in 2019. And today we're going we're gonna to try to be as practical as possible as we do so, uh, but we're going to use the foundation of Romans 10 as we go throughout the next few moments. So I'm going to read from verses 9 to 15, which read as follows. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I want to pause and pray for us in this time that, that God would, would take what we're going to talk about and, and, and help us to, to bring it beyond this room into our week, into our lives, into the lives of those uh, we, we love and care about. So would you, would you pause with me and pray? Father, thank you that we have good news. Thank you that we can celebrate it freely this morning. And I ask that over the next few minutes you'd be working in my heart and in, in all our hearts to know you better, to follow you better, especially as it pertains to the area of sharing our faith and telling others about you. Thank you that you're the power that is present that can do this. So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So could you imagine what Central Heights Church would look like as more beautiful? Now, now follow, the, the, follow the metaphor here, follow the figurative language. What if we were known as Christians in Abbotsford, as a church in Abbotsford that had beautiful feet? Could you picture us being that church? Could you picture yourself being someone more beautiful because of what you bring into your week, into the lives of those who aren't here right now? And aren't here because they specifically don't believe in Jesus or, or maybe they've had a bad experience with church or something uh, that's led them to conclude they're not going to make Jesus a part of their life. Could you picture us being more beautiful? I think we can. I think uh, one of the words that jumps out at me here is the word someone. How then can they, and the they being anybody you know, friends, family, coworkers, whoever it is, classmates, how can they call on the one they've not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Now, I don't know if the the idea of preaching sounds super exciting to you. I know sometimes it doesn't sound super exciting to me, even though I'm I'm up here right now, But, but picture yourself as the someone in Romans 10. See, what Romans 10 does not say is, it doesn't say, how can, how can your friends, how can your brother-in-law, how, how can your mom, how can your aunt, how can the person you go to school with, how can they believe in Jesus unless 
your pastor preaches to them. Or unless a professional missionary shows up where they are and explains the gospel to them. Notice it doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about somebody professional, somebody who does this for a living, somebody who's got a career built around explaining the gospel. No, it says how can they do this unless someone preaches to them? I don't know, I pitched the idea this morning that that someone is you and that someone is me. Regardless of what you do for your, your living, regardless of where you spend your time, the someone is you. You are the someone that someone needs to bring the good news to. You are that someone. And as daunting as the sound of, of preaching to someone sounds, we want to spend the next few minutes looking at eight tools or, or eight categories of tools that will help us to do this better, uh, particularly now in 2019 with the people you know, the people you love, the people you want to see come to know Jesus. You are the someone. So what are some tools we can take with us to do this better? And, I, and I've narrowed it down to a list of eight, which ought to tell you that this, there's probably more than eight. These might not even be the best eight, but they're eight that I find very helpful. And to give you a bit of the behind the scenes for, for my hope for this morning is that all of us leave here just, just freshly motivated and freed up to actually do this. To, for us to leave and go, God, I can do this. I can share my faith. Maybe in a way I didn't know I could before this morning, but you are gonna, you're going to work in my life today and in some sort of way that I leave and I can go, I can do this and I want to do this. I think that can happen. And so what these tools are going to do is they're going to be a little, sometimes they're going to sound a bit vague, which is on purpose because I, I want to be vague enough to free you from any specific script, to, to not keep it very rigid so that you have to try and duplicate all that you hear. Uh, because I've been to those, those workshops before where I've left and I've been like, I don't know if I can do it. They sound really like they've nuanced the language. They've, they've memorized the script. They've got all the conversational tools. I don't know if I can do that. And so for this morning, I want to be you know, intentionally vague. But on the other hand, I want to be specific enough to be helpful, to give us some examples, to give us some tools uh, to think about so that we actually do feel like, I can do this. I can be the someone that someone needs. So tool number one, we're going to walk through these as simply and as clearly as possible. Tool number one is simply this, that we need to know what to share. I think this is one of the main reasons we don't share, is we don't really feel equipped because we don't know what we're talking about, or we don't know how to, to summarize our beliefs in a way that people will understand and respond to. In First Peter, we read these words in chapter 3. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. I don't know if you've heard that verse used before to kind of put us in a place where we think, okay, well, I need to be prepared. I need to get ready. I need to do something to equip myself to share with that someone. But what I love about this verse is it doesn't say... Be prepared with all the answers to all the questions that anybody could possibly ask you about Christianity, about God, through the lens of history or philosophy or science or scripture. It doesn't say that. It says be prepared with a reason. And I think I, I, I kind of slow myself down and I put barriers up and I think, man, I don't have all the answers out there to all the possible questions. But thankfully, we don't need to have all the answers, but we should have a answer for the hope that is in us. And the answer in one word is simply Jesus. Someone throws a question that relates to science or philosophy at you, and you go, you know what, I have no idea, but my answer for the hope that is in me is Jesus. In one word, it's Jesus. But there are things we can do 
to, to, to expand on that. And something that's been so helpful for me is to realize the Bible tells one story. Yes, it's 66 books. Yes, it starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation, but it tells one story. It tells the gospel story, the good news story. It's not about giving us good advice per se. It's about telling us good news about a person and an event in history that changes the past and the future and the present for us right now. And we've, we've talked about it this way before at Central Heights, and I've, I find this way particularly helpful to view this one story as the good news of what God has done in Jesus. But to help give my mind, you know, signposts for how to explain this, four words that have really been helpful for me to trace the story from start to finish are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. You could choose different words, perhaps, like start, problem, solution, end, or new start, but these are categories whereby you can, you can use this in your mind, oh, okay, creation, what do, I, what do I know under that part of the gospel story? Well, I know there's one God who's great, who's good, who's glorious, who's gracious, and he designed a perfect world to be in relationship with his creation. That's the, the first segment of the story. And then when we get enter the fall part of the story, we realize and explain the fact that our ancestors, the humanity, rebelled against God, turned away from this, this good source of life, and introduced brokenness into the world through an action called sin. And sin leads to death. And then when we think about re- redemption as the third category of the story, we realize God made a promise to fix all this. He didn't scrap the plan, didn't start all over. No, he said, I'm going to work with this. I'm going to send a rescuer and because I so love the world that I will send my one and only son, Jesus, to come and live as a person, live a perfect life that we couldn't live, die a death for sin that we ought to have died. And we know that this worked because he rose from the dead, fully freeing us from penalty of sin, but also the power of sin and death and evil in the world. And then under restoration, we realize he's already working to restore all things. He's building a church. He went and ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to live in his followers, to do this mission, to experience this life of the kingdom now, of heaven now. And one day he'll return to restore all things. And even in my mind, I didn't really rehearse that for you this morning. I just remembered creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and how does all this tell the one story of what God has done in Jesus? And maybe, maybe for you, it would just be helpful. Okay, one tool I'll take with me today on Sunday is I'll just be more equipped to explain what I believe. We just need to explain, explain, explain. And at, at the Welcome Center, we've actually made this really easy this morning. Uh, This isn't four words, it uses seven words, so it fleshes out a bit more. Seven words to tell about this this one gospel story, this good news. Uh, It's a a pamphlet, it's a resource called Backstory. You can pick one of these up uh, just out at our Welcome Center. Uh, You know, this is good enough that you might even be able to just give it to somebody and let the pamphlet do the work for you, but I would suggest using it as a resource to just train yourself to develop language as to how would I explain this simply and clearly, this story of the good news news. So we need to know what what to share. And when we know what to share, we realize that part of the story, for us as believers who have already received Jesus as Lord and Savior, is we have the Holy Spirit. And I think this is so helpful for me because uh, one of the barriers I think I put up sometimes, and maybe you relate to this too, is, well, I don't want to misrepresent God to my friend. 
I don't want to lead my family member further from Jesus because I don't say the right words or I, or I say something that, that, that pushes them away from Christianity. I know the church in the past has done some things that maybe have pushed so-and-so away, and I don't want to be part of that problem. I want to be part of the solution. So I, I just won't share because me not sharing will be better than me sharing poorly. And I get that. I get that you don't want to misrepresent or say the wrong thing. Even as a pastor, I get that. Like, look, I'm speaking to hundreds of people right now. What would happen if six of the 600 you know, words I use in the next two minutes is wrong? Like, that, that freaks me out sometimes to realize I am in a position to misrepresent God in the gospel when I come up here. Except that if we know what we're sharing, whether on a stage or in a break room over lunch or in a hallway somewhere, in a coffee shop somewhere, what we realize is that we have a message that everyone needs, and a messenger to help deliver that message. You've got good news that everyone really needs, and you've got the Holy Spirit to help give that message. Right? Thank you. That, that, is, that is so helpful for me to realize. Know what to share and know who's with you when you're sharing it. You're not the first person that's going to talk to them. Holy Spirit's already there, and he's going to be there after. But he wants you to partner with him in that. You can be the someone and be the someone better by knowing what to share. Tool number two is to actually more than just know what to share. It's to believe that what you're sharing is true and that it's good. Because beyond just the information of what the gospel is, beyond just understanding, you know, okay, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, it's about Jesus, it's about us moving from death to life and, and heading towards the kingdom of God. Beyond just knowing the, the data of that, it's really honestly believing in your heart that this is good, that this is true. Because nobody wants to share things they don't think are good or true, do you? In fact, you naturally share things that you believe are good and true. I'll give you an example. The gospel of the keto diet. Anybody heard that gospel before? Anybody sharing that gospel right now? Not me. Um, anybody? Right, like the first time I heard about the keto diet. This guy on a Saturday morning social event, uh, he's like, hey, guess what I'm doing? And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I've started a new diet. It's called the keto diet. And it's, I'm losing all this weight. I feel really good. I feel really healthy. I'm like, well, that's, that's crazy. Like, usually I, I'm really skeptical about these things. Well, tell me more about it. And he's like, well, uh, you know, like, it's, it's working well. You have to change what you eat. And I'm like, well, it's a diet. Of course you do. And I was like, well, what did you eat for breakfast? And he's like, butter. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, butter, man, butter. And I'm like... That, that gospel is offensive to me. Don't preach that at me, right? <laughs> right? But, but look, my friend, he's, he's not coming into that conversation going, okay, uh, I don't know what Jesse's going to think about this. I don't know if he's going to like me after I explain uh, the keto thing. I don't know if he's going to receive it or be offended by it. No, he's just coming into the conversation going, keto is true for me. Keto has worked for me. It is good for me. Therefore, it's spilling out of me naturally in conversation. And look, you already, I'm, I'm confident that most of us in this room already believe that Jesus is true and that he's good. And so it should just naturally be spilling out of us. See, in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if this is true, like, we can know God, but only through Jesus. And if we really believe he's good, and if we really believe he's true, well then why, what would prevent us from just, just letting that come out of our lives? And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet, I hope what you're hearing is that we believe so much that he's true, so much that he's good and relevant for anyone, that we want to take a whole Sunday just to talk about how do we let more people know about him and share him with everyone 
Believe that he's true. Believe that he's good. And, and I'm confident, I'm confident that because he's both true and he's good, there's no one you'll encounter in any place you're in who doesn't need him. You're sitting in your barber shop. You're sitting in your locker room. And you're looking at, at, at who's there, and you're, and you're hearing, okay, the, the things they're talking about and the lifestyle that they seem to be living. Sometimes I think I convince myself, I'm not sure how Jesus fits into this person's life. Their business is going good. Their family's healthy. They have a nice house. They're going on a trip next month. I'm not sure how Jesus fits into their story. But look, because he is true, because he is good, we know that he's relevant for 2019. And we also know that people are still coming to him in 2019 because he is that real and he is that good. Tool number three is that we can prioritize sharing. And I think for me, this starts with understanding that I, I, I love the people I want to share with. Because regardless of how they respond, that's not going to change how much I love them. And I'm motivated, just like God was. He demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He sent his son into the world because he loves us, so loves us. It starts by priority. Uh, priority starts around love. And I know everybody in this room right now, we, we all have things in our lives that we're trying to fix or we're trying to accomplish, and sometimes that can, that can make a conflicting priority where it's like, well, I'm, I'm in the thick of it right now. I'm going through hardship. I, I'm in pain. I'm suffering. This thing is really distracting me. I want it gone. I want it solved. I want it fixed. And once that happens, then I'll be more set up to share my faith. But look, there are people in your lives going through equal, if not worse, suffering that need to know there's a God who loves them and who can actually do something amidst hardship, not just after hardship. That there's a gospel that works beyond when we're just sitting in, in Sunday morning and, and it feels like life is good. No, that, that you can actually use your problems and show people, hey, this, this is a priority for me even, even in this. Because it's this true, it's this good, and that Jesus still meets me here. So whatever you're trying to seek in life or whatever you're trying to solve in life, ask yourself, is this a priority for me? Or are there other things that are kind of pulling me in a different direction and distracting me? And I think one of the biggest indicators that, that it's not a priority is that when we think of sharing our faith, we don't have any names in our heads that come to mind. So ask yourself, are there one or two names that come to mind when you think of who, who you're actively sharing your faith with? Maybe today this is the only tool you need to start with. This is to go, Lord, who have you put in my sphere of influence? Who do I see that doesn't know you? Who is the someone that I can be a someone for? Help me to identify names. Maybe, you, maybe your tool today is you just need to pick two names. And maybe just start by praying and realizing, like, this is an act of love. And I'm going to pray for these one or two names. Prioritize. Prioritize sharing your faith. In 2 Peter 3, we read this, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, his promise of returning and restoring all things completely, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Sharing faith, sharing the good news is a priority for Jesus. So for us as his followers, it should be a priority for us. Tool number four, enter the awkward. Because look, look, everything in life that is serious or is important is awkward to transition to in conversation. 
Whether you're a dad trying to talk to your daughter about dating or you're a spouse trying to talk to your husband about finances, anything that's serious, you have to kind of jump into an awkward setting of conversation, an awkward tone of conversation to get there. So of course, of course sharing your faith is going to be awkward at times. Embrace that. Enter the awkward. It's part of what the mission takes. Like, look, I had a mission a couple years ago uh, to get engaged to my wife. And uh, yeah, it was not as exciting as it sounds when you hear the rest of the story, because um, part of what I wanted to do uh, was to, to talk to her parents beforehand and you know, receive you know, the, the, the parental blessing that this is okay, that I can go and ask her to marry me, that this is all good, that you guys are okay with it, that you're not surprised by it. Uh, the challenge was added for me, though, because her parents divorced when she was really young, so now I have to actually have this conversation twice. And worse than that, these are two very different people, very different parents, and so I have to figure out two different ways at two different times, two different locations uh, to have this conversation. To, to further make matters worse, they lived like four hours away from where I lived at the time, so I have like four hours to drive and consider my ways as I'm driving, like white-knuckling it down the highway, like, like okay, that was the first one, what's the second conversation going to sound like? I, I was a bit more fearful of talking to her dad as a guy, because you know that the, you're talking to another man about his daughter, and you're like, okay, how is this going to work? And so I had strategized beforehand that I was going to make sure I knew what kind of coffee he liked to drink so I could at least, you know, tame the beast a little bit when I showed up. And uh, so prior to that, we had gone out uh, uh, to Tim Hortons uh, with him. I, I kind of visually and verbally, you know, took note of, of what he ordered. Uh, going to Tim Hortons was already a sacrifice for me for this mission. So I'm like getting in there and I'm like bringing this coffee. I'm driving there and I show up at the door and it was awkward enough to set up this meeting because it was at his house and I didn't want Janelle to know that I was going to be there doing this. So I think he had a pretty good idea of what was coming. He opens the door, and I'm just like, coffee? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, but look, this is what the mission required. It required entering the awkward, embracing it, and, and, and deciding for yourself, okay, this is going to be awkward, but I'm going to take courage. Pastor Tim likes to talk about taking 10 seconds of courage in a conversation to transition from what's not awkward to what actually is a little bit awkward. And, and maybe it starts by asking a question. Hey, how does God fit into your life? And, or maybe it starts by sharing your story. Or maybe it just starts with something that takes the conversation to, do no, to a new level. Look, the mission requires us to enter the awkward sometimes, and that's okay. Enter it. Take 10 seconds of courage and get there. Tool number five for us. Be real everywhere. And I think this is, this is one of the toughest ones for me because I know there are settings, there are places that I go that... Sunday morning Jesse doesn't really fit into the picture. The way I think, the way I talk, uh, the, the types of things I want to discuss uh, just, does, just doesn't fit. It's awkward. It, it's, it's, it's totally uh, something different from what this group is, is used to thinking about or talking about. So I'll put up a filter. I'll put up a mask. I'll be, I'll be different Jesse rather than Sunday Jesse. And I think some of us, we, we do that too. You know, we, we, we show up to our classroom or we show up to, you know, to our, our office and it's like, okay, uh, I just came out of Sunday. I was, I was Sunday Jesse, but now it's, it's work, it's work Jesse. And I'm going to be somebody different uh, because this is who these people like. I'm not sure they would like Sunday so-and-so. But the thing about being real everywhere is that that's where the gospel really starts to ooze out. That you don't deprive people of what you already believe is good, already believe is true, already believe is relevant. And I think some of the, the best places to be real are, are even, even through the church, through, through our praying, through our giving, through our serving. Where we're invested already, we're, we're already more naturally going to share. 
One of my favorite stories of somebody coming to faith was one of my professors in college, and uh, you know, a really wise, older, older man who you know, just had this, these, these gold nuggets of truth that he would share about the Bible and about Scripture and about Jesus. And one time he told us about how he met Jesus, and it, was, it really caught me off guard because, because of the dynamics of it. He said, I was a university student in Ontario, I, was, I think he was doing engineering or something uh, as, as part of, of his career trajectory, and he found out about a gathering of young adults that were going to meet, and they were going to have some sort of church service. He wasn't sure what it all entailed, he had never been to one before, but he shows up, and, and these people are passionately worshiping God. They're singing songs like the ones we sang this morning. And him as a guest, him as not knowing really the gospel at all, him having really not a ton of exposure to Christianity up until that point, is watching the room going, I'm convinced this is real. I want to know Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. And he became a college professor at a Bible school for the majority of his life. All because people were real. And it sounds easy to be real in a church, but look, when you are here in this room, do you realize you could be sharing your faith with somebody across the room this morning who doesn't know Jesus, who might be a guest, who might be exploring, and and, and the very witness of how you're engaging with what's going on here might actually be an act of sharing faith. Or maybe it's not on Sunday morning. Maybe, maybe you're just going to use your online presence differently. You know, you're already posting uh, about things you're already doing. Why not post about, hey, man, it was so great. Somebody prayed for me at church this morning. Or, wow, I had an incredible time uh, at this young adult's gathering. Or, or whatever it is where God is intersecting your life, why not share it with, with the collection of everything else you're already sharing? In Matthew 5, we read these words. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I think when I'm not real, for me it's like, it's like I'm treating Jesus honestly like he's more of a guilty pleasure than a great passion. And that's a problem for me. And I want to stop doing that. So is, is that where you are? Is Jesus just like a, a guilty pleasure that, you know, for 60 minutes in your week, uh, two or three times a month that you engage with? Or is he really a great passion of your life? Has he done something that's, that's brought you to that place? Be real everywhere. Number six, be excellent where you spend your time. And this tool sounds kind of like, what, how, does, how, does, how does this help? But look what Colossians 3 says. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In whatever you do. So wherever you spend your time, whatever you're up to, whatever you're committed to, participating in, responsible for, be it your school, your job, a recreational hobby you're involved in, be excellent there. Knowing, as Colossians 3 says, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. You're representing him where you are. Uh, something, and I'm not always a great example of this, but a couple uh, months ago I did uh, occupational first aid level two, which if you've ever taken that is awful and strenuous and intense. It's a week-long pressurized setting of, of people 
crying and, and wishing they weren't there, uh, learning life-saving techniques because their employers sent them. And in the first like 10 minutes of us being there on the very first day of the week, uh, the instructor's going around the room asking people their name, what they do for work, basically indicating how serious they might need this training, you know, so that, you know, construction, welding, all this stuff. And I'm like the only person there at this level of first aid who works a job that's usually not very physically threatening to my life or to others' lives, at least not yet anyways. And, um, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And they're like, pastor, why, why are you here? What, what church are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from Central Heights Church. And so now, look, I've entered a zone where I'm representing all of you. I don't know how many people uh, from Central Heights or Christians in general have taken occupational first aid level two. But I'm there and now I'm like, oh man, I'm now representing not only my church, but my God in this place. And I had better be the best first aid learner they have ever seen. And so I'm like, I, I, like, I do not want to misrepresent anything about Jesus here. And so honestly, it was awful. I had a terrible attitude. Um, I, I'm going through this thing. Uh, I'm showing up, but I'm putting in the work to be excellent. And although I, I really tried to hide my attitude and how negative I was towards this thing, I actually started to excel at this. And, and this one guy who I'd sit with in class in between doing the techniques and the theory, uh, he, he eventually, at the end of the week, turned to me and he was like, thank you for helping me this week. You did, you, you're just really helpful and, and excellent at this. Um, you just have such a joyful aura about you. And I was like... I don't know what an aura is or why it was joyful, but, but, I, but now I have an open opportunity to explain why. I think this man was, was a, a subscribed to the Hindu faith, and, and now he's inserted himself into my life rather than me trying to insert myself into his. See, when you're excellent... That creates a curiosity in others. You live in a compelling way, and it's like, wow, like, what is going on there? And, and I know, maybe, maybe you don't have the experience or the skills to be the best you know, writer or mechanic at your shop, but look, you can be the most encouraging person at your shop. You can be the person who doesn't gossip about the other coworkers over break time, the one who doesn't complain about the boss. You can live in a compelling way knowing you're representing Jesus. You are there in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, and that is going to create a compelling witness whereby people might insert themselves into your life, and that might just do a lot of the work for you to then give you an opportunity to explain the reason for the hope that's in you. Tool number seven, and this is one of my favorite tools, is to share your story. To share your story. And I know sometimes we think, okay, well, um, I grew up in, in a Christian home. I went to youth group. My grandparents were Christians. As far as I can tell, everybody in my family has been a Christian. And I just always, the gospel was accessible to me. Uh, I didn't come out of some crazy, practically tough situation and had a radical transformation, like this 180 degree thing where I went completely a different direction when I met Jesus. Look, that might be where you're, where you're finding yourself thinking, I, I don't know if I have a story really to share but look, just because the gospel is accessible to you does not mean it was easy to save you. Think about it. From the creation part of the story, God could have stopped the whole plan right there and went, no, uh, we're going we're gonna to roll this up, we're going to do something different. But he decides, I'm going to promise to send rescue. He makes a promise to a man named Abraham, look, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And then he has to preserve 
this, this man's family line. He has to work with the nation they become, the nation of Israel. He has to deliver them from, from slavery in Egypt through the Exodus. He has to do miraculous signs and wonders, raise up leaders, work with those leaders like King David, and, and, and keep them going on, on a trajectory of, of following him and preserving them and getting them to the place where through exile and through war and, and just through rebellion, he brings Jesus into the story. And then Jesus has to come face every temptation that, that is possible. He has to come and be willing to live a perfect life, die on a cross, a humiliating, public, torturous death. He has to say yes to that. Then not only that, he has to come back from the dead. More than that, he then has to ascend and send the Holy Spirit into a group of people smaller than this room so that they take the gospel through the, to the ends of the earth, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, so that eventually churches can get planted, so that eventually the Holy Spirit will make somebody come alive in Jesus in Europe, so that way the gospel comes across the Atlantic and it lands in North America and then churches get planted here to the point where somebody buys land, plants a church, raises up leaders in Abbotsford on McCallum Road so that Central Heights Church exists so that we can have an opportunity to proclaim this gospel. Look, you are a miracle if you are believing in Jesus today, right? You are a miracle. And here's the thing about being a miracle is that you can use the miracle of God in your life for the mission of God in the lives of others. Even if the gospel was accessible to you, you were not easy to save. But Jesus has saved you. Listen to what, what Peter says about this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You have a story. And your story should be expanding to continue proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Because as you pray in life, as you give in life, as you serve in life, your testimony expands. God keeps showing up and doing things. Is your story getting bigger? So that you're not just recounting the past of your conversion. You're talking about, look what God did last week. And I've got stuff that's current because God is currently at work in my life. And somehow by sharing your story, you, you can kind of bypass a lot of the technical data of the gospel to go, hey, look, I, I can't explain all of this, but this is, this is my experience. Like in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who's blind. And, and this, this blind man now can see, and everyone's got all these questions. They bring him in front of this religious councils. They bring his parents in. They're asking all these questions about who healed you, why did he heal you, when did he heal you. And the guy eventually just goes, look, I don't know all of what, what this is. I don't know even who he was. All I know is that I couldn't see, and now I can. And that's for us, too. Share your story, use your story, and continue to let God build your story as you pray, as you give, as you serve, as you follow him. And your story is such a helpful place to start and use as a, as a launch pad to invite others into. Because maybe your words, like in John chapter 4 or John chapter 1, where people are like, look, come and see. Come and see this Jesus that, I, that, that has changed my life. Come and see what he's up to. Come to church. Come to community Christmas. Come to the Christmas Eve service. Come to Alpha in January. Just come and see who has changed my life. This is a story of our young adults pastor you saw involved in, in baptism this morning. Somebody simply told him, hey, David, come to church with me. Come and see. To the point where David meets Jesus, changes his life. And now David's serving in our church. All because, come and see. Come and see. Use your story. You have a story.
And finally, and I'll end with this, tool number eight, just pick a starting point and grow from there. Because I think sometimes when we hear about the how to share our faith, it's like, well, I got to go from zero to 100%. Maybe you've never shared your faith ever before, and you're thinking, this sounds daunting. Well, just pick a starting point. Maybe you don't need to go from zero to 100. Maybe you just need to decide today, you know what, I will pray. I will pray for two people. And that'll be my starting point into a life of sharing my faith. Maybe for you it's like, you know what, I've been praying. Maybe it's time I choose the starting point of I now will invite them or I now will share my story and grow from there. And I'll ask them, hey, do you want to hear about something that changed my life? Do you want to hear where I was? Do you want to hear what God is currently doing? So whether you choose to, to decide, okay, I will pray, I will invite, I will share my story, or maybe you're at the place where now that based on the people you're working with, you're like, I now will explain the gospel. I'll explain what Jesus did, and I will explain what they can do to respond to it. And ask, look, here, here's the story, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Here's what God has done through Jesus. Would you like to respond? Would you like to enter that relationship? And if you're here today and one of these four starting points is, is already too beyond you because you actually need the starting point of stepping across the line from death to life, from separation from God to relationship with God, maybe you just need to, to come before Jesus today and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord like I heard in Romans 10 and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead to save me. So let me pray for us this morning. That we would be people freed up, motivated to go, I can do this. I can be the someone for someone. And follow the Holy Spirit into his mission in the world. And as I pray for us, I'm also going to pray for, for somebody here who may not know Jesus yet, but wants to. And you can pray along the lines of what I'm going to pray and, and come to Jesus for the first time today. So Father, thank you that we have good news. Thank you that we've got more than just advice. We've got reality coming out of the event of you entering our world to save us. If there's somebody here who, who needs to, to enter into that today, would you just tell Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for doing everything when I could do nothing. I give you my life, rescue me, rule my life. I trust in you with all my heart. Thank you. And for those of us who do know you, I ask, Lord, that you would breathe fresh wind into our sails this week. That whatever starting point we choose, be it prayer, be it invitation, be it our testimony, be it an explanation leading towards a response to the gospel, I pray that you would be at work in a very visible way that makes sense to us and to those we are trying to reach. And may your kingdom come as that happens. May your will be done as that happens. And may we continuously have cause to celebrate knowing that you are relevant and needed by everyone and that you're still at the in the work saving and transforming lives. Thank you for being that good and that great and that true. I pray in Jesus' name.